Greetings, students. As always, this is Professor Totten, and welcome to the History of the American People to 1877. Today's lecture is entitled, New Spain and Native Resistance. Please follow along on the PowerPoint as I speak, and turn to the first slide, Administration. The vast territories conquered by Spanish conquistadors were subdivided in order to make them easier to administer. The Viceroyalty of New Spain was created and stretched from the Caribbean to Mexico, with its first capital in Havana and later Mexico City. The Viceroyalty of New Castile stretched from Guatemala to Peru with its capital of Lima. Spanish cities were created to facilitate trade, but towards the interior, many lived in the same structures as indigenous people. They ate the local food and intermarried, and this will help sustain indigenous cultural survival in those areas. Please advance to the next slide entitled, Iberian and Mestizo Society. By 1700, about 500,000 Spanish and 100,000 Portuguese immigrants came to the Western Hemisphere. In the New World, a rigid, castus racial hierarchy emerged. Iberian-born peninsularos were at the top of society. Criollo, or near-total Spanish lineage, that were born in the New World were next. Then the Mestizos, who were half-European and half-native peoples. Then the Mulattoes, of Spanish and Black ancestry, then the Indios, of American Indian and Black ancestry, and finally the, quote, Negroes, of all African ancestry. In 1478, the Spanish began the Spanish Inquisition, which called for the removal of all non-Christians in the kingdom, and the Portuguese soon followed suit. Many did not want to initially leave, so they were forcibly taken to churches and the docks then baptized and thrown on ships to be sent abroad. These new Christians were sent to New Spain, the Viceroyalty of Peru, and into other colonies in Indonesia and elsewhere. Because of usury laws, which outlawed under Catholic doctrine the ability for Christians to lend money, Jews were forced to become the bankers in the New World, and this will in turn lead to the stereotypes of Jewish bankers. It isn't that Jews love money and are naturally stingy. Rather, it is Christian law which forces them to become bankers and forbids them from owning land in Europe. Converted Jews brought with them their own culture, which influenced Latino culture and some food. Hence, so many Jewish-sounding Latin names. In 1531, there was a reported sighting of the Virgin Mary in Mexico City, but this Mary spoke the Aztec language and had Aztec features. Since the Aztecs had a mother god in their pantheon, it was easier for them to make their transition to the Christian faith, but with an indigenous spin. This gave rise to the patron saint of Mexico called the Virgin of Guadalupe, and helps explain the relatively fast-paced nature of their conversion. Please advance to the next slide entitled, Land and Labor. With control over such a vast territory, the Spanish needed a labor system to organize and exploit the resources and manpower of the New World. They created the Encomienda, which was a quasi-feudal grant that endowed the owners, encomenderos, with a share of several pueblos' annual produce and forced labor. The encomendero was required to protect their encomiendas from pirates and warring tribes. Encomenderos were required to instruct their wards in the Christian faith, but as we will see, encomiendas were only given to higher-status conquistadors, which produced a class of lower-ranking officers who, in the search for their own encomiendas, 
expanded the borders of the Spanish Empire, and caused great suffering. This indeed led to widespread abuse of natives and led to the abolishment of the system by 1542. Encomiendas are feudal relationships of loyalty and tribute, but silver mines operate differently. Silver mines are not run by encomenderos, but by crown officials who report back to the monarch. The largest silver mine was at Potsai in modern Bolivia. By 1600, 150,000 people worked in these mines. The silver was brought by Lamas to Lima and then Acapulco and then transported to the Philippines where it was traded with the Chinese. The Chinese needed silver to back their currency and conducted large state-level payments and trade, so New Spain was the source of the silver and helped fuel global trade between Europeans and the Ming Chinese, particularly for silk and porcelain. After 1580, Spain and Portugal were joined together in what was called the Iberian Union, and Spain took over control of the Portuguese slave trade. They funneled Angolan and Congolese slaves to the Potsoy mines, and this is going to help fuel the rise of the Atlantic slave trade even further. Please advance to the next slide entitled, Protector of the Indians. The Protector of the Indians was a man named Bartolomo de la Casas. He was an encomendero, a historian, a social reformer, and a Dominican friar. Las Casas renounced his encomienda after witnessing the appalling abuse and devoted his life towards religion and social reform. He soon became the most eloquent and voracious critic of Spanish treatment of Native Americans, not only witnessing much of it firsthand, but also recording accounts from conquerors and natives alike. Las Casas pulled these accounts together and provided them during testimony, calling it a short account of the destruction of the Indies. In part because of his testimony, the Spanish crown passed the new laws of 1542. These involved the crown more directly in the management of the Spanish Empire. It subjected governors and their subordinates to more vigorous oversight and questioning. And it theoretically ended encomiendas, giving rise to the haciendas. Lastly, it attempted to end the push of conquistadors into more and more lands, for which it was not very successful. Las Casas also took part in what has been called the Valoid Debate, from 1500 to 1551. For our purposes, this is important because it is one of the first times that two sides argued over the treatment of Native Americans and their place in the empire. Las Casas advocated inclusion and mercy, while his opponent advocated enslavement or destruction. In part because of this debate, Las Casas published his previous short account of the destruction of the Indies to broadly publicize before what was merely a debate in government. In 1573, the Spanish crown issued the Ordinances of Discovery, which prohibited conquistadors from engaging in conquests. The idea was that only peaceful settlement directed by missionaries would be allowed into North America. So in a very real way, Las Casas helped reform the way in which natives were treated. And though large-scale abuse still occurred, Las Casas is a good example of a theme of this course. That one person, when they sacrifice for what they believe in, can change the world. The negative side of all this is that while Las Casas wanted more kind treatment towards natives, he supposed that African slaves could replace them as workers, and so he gave his tacit approval to the slave trade, switching oppression from one group to another. History, like life, is all about balance. 
Nobody is perfect. We are all products of our time. Please advance to the next slide entitled Land Reform. Due to Las Casas' efforts, the Reparamento system was created. This was supposed to replace the encomienda and allowed natives to serve temporarily and theoretically gave them more freedom. But we shall see that this system was never really adopted and many Spanish floras simply ignored the change. In New Spain, landowners created haciendas. These were large rural estates where natives labored for wages or crop shares. These are different than encomienda or native villages incorporated into feudal relationships. Haciendas could contain mines, plantations, or factories on the estate, so it was more centralized and concentrated settlement. They were also better suited for slave labor, and this theoretically supplanted the encomienda as the chief exploitive institution in the Spanish Empire. So what we see is a move from controlling a region to get labor, to changing the modes of production or how goods are made. Please advance to the next slide entitled, The Spanish Frontier. Now, the center of Spanish conquest was in Central and South America, but they also had settled in the modern-day United States. In 1565, the Spanish established St. Augustine, Florida, the oldest enduring European town in the United States. This was done in an effort to curtail piracy, provide a base of operations, and project military power further north. St. Augustine was perfectly placed on the coast of Florida to catch the Gulf Stream that would propel ships back to Europe. It also was placed to guard the resupply of the great Spanish treasure fleets that sailed from South America. The Spanish jealously guarded this outpost, and when they discovered French Huguenots, or Protestants, building Fort Caroline in the area, they attacked and brutally massacred 700 Huguenots even after they surrendered. St. Augustine, by the way, is one of my favorite cities. It is absolutely beautiful, it has a ton of amazing history, and some great food. Check it out if you can. Well, in 1598, Juan de Oneta led 129 soldiers and 10 friars into Texas, California, and later specifically, the Rio Grande River Valley. They called the region New Mexico. About 40,000 natives lived there. The Spanish did not understand native customs, especially the polyamory of native women, whom the Spanish had thought that they had conquered sexually, but were actually engaged in reciprocal relationships. After misunderstandings, the Spanish massacred hundreds of pueblos at the Encoma Pueblo, and many of the natives did not resist further. From there, the Spanish built northernmost settlements, and these were very remote, literally on the edges of empire. Due to this remote nature, New Mexico never had more than 2,000 Spanish colonists during the 17th century. In New Mexico, Franciscan friars led settlement and conversion efforts through the creation of numerous Catholic missions. In New Mexico, they established a near-theocracy and went about destroying the old hierarchies and converting young pueblos to Christianity, which greatly angered older generations. This destroyed much of the reciprocal relationships of Pueblo tradition and caused much resentment. Natives who refused could be whipped and sometimes had turpentine smeared on their bloody backs. By the 1670s, New Mexico was plagued by droughts and raids by frontier Indians. Despite these tough times, the Spanish continued to extract a massive tribute from the Pueblos, and a number of them starved. In 1675, 
the Pueblos, led by shamans or religious leaders, attempted to revive their traditional ceremonies in hopes of restoring the good times. This frightened the Spaniards, who arrested and whipped 47 shamans. In 1680, one of the shamans who had been whipped, Pepe, preached to the Pueblos that good times would be restored if they destroyed the Christians and their churches. The Pueblos began planning a massive revolt and used knotted cords with cloth markings to provide a time for when the revolt would erupt. By August, the plan was executed, even after the Spanish had been alerted, but it was too late for them. 17,000 natives from all over New Mexico revolted, destroying missions and farms and executing priests. 400 of the 2,400 Spanish settlers in New Mexico were killed. 21 of 33 friars were killed, so you can obviously see who the Pueblos were angry at. The surviving 2,000 Spaniards were driven to El Paso, Texas. The Pueblo Revolt was described as, quote, the greatest setback that natives ever inflicted on European expansion in North America, end quote. But continued drought and infighting amongst the natives ultimately weakened them, and by the 1690s, the Spaniards had reasserted their control over the region. Going forward, the Spanish were, by necessity, more tolerant of Pueblo traditions, though by 1740, the Pueblos were so decimated by disease that their ability to resist was less effective. Despite this, Pueblo religion and culture exist to this day, a testament to its vitality and strength. Please advance to the next slide entitled, Spanish Power Wanes. The Spanish over time were victims of their own success. American bullion made the Spanish rich, but it ultimately caused inflation. Inflation raises prices on domestically produced goods. Higher prices leads to the importation of foreign goods and reduces domestic manufacturing. Increased importation leads to stronger European competition. This is also part of the wars of religion, where Catholics are attacking Protestants. And Spain is also being attacked in response to the Iberian Union, where Spain had swallowed up Portugal. And they also had control over many of the old Habsburg lands in Austria, Germany, Italy, Sicily, and the Low Countries. So everyone wants to take them down. Spanish shipments and colonies were subject to attack and piracy. Reduced security requires building military convoys, fortifications, and leading expeditions. Maintaining security reduces profit margins and become burdensome. Military expeditions meet with various failures and successes. And this should sound pretty familiar to those of you watching at home. The point is that American history is not happening in isolation. During this era, the Spanish fight several devastating conflicts with varying degrees of success and defeat. The Spanish Terraco, or Fighting Square, of pikemen and arquebusiers were extremely effective and won many victories. And the Spanish succeeded in controlling a vast empire under their hegemonic king. But these lands were subject to constant invasions by the French and others. The English and the Spanish fought each other at sea, and in the Netherlands, they launched the 80-year-long Dutch Revolt to free themselves from Spanish tyranny. Thus, while the New World provided many opportunities, the Old World had profound influences on the course of American settlement and imperial dominance. It is no coincidence 
that as Spanish power wanes, her rivals use her decline to get in on the game of colonization and empire. And that is a story for next time. That's all I have for you for today. I hope you're all making smart decisions and staying safe. Thank you very much and have a wonderful day. I'll see you next time.